This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, once again, I just want to say good morning. It is a joy and a delight to be here with all of you at Apex United Methodist Church. Throughout the summer, we have been journeying together through the book of Daniel. And we have done that for several reasons, one of which to just give our church a predictable pattern of scripture reading so that as our summer rhythms um, tend to break up our normal rhythms, we might be able to easily and clearly know where we are in the Bible as a church community. We're in the Bible every single Sunday here, but throughout the summer we give ourselves one book that we go through, that we study together to remind ourselves that our faith is really found in the pages of Scripture, that we should be engaged in Scripture together. Last week we were in Daniel chapter 4. We recalled a story of King Nebuchadnezzar, how he was full of himself and full of pride, And how God stepped in and reminded him that God is indeed sovereign, that God reigns. And we asked ourselves what it might look like if instead of thinking about ourselves just in terms of us, I, 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 me, 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 that we would think of ourselves in terms of God, that we would ask the God question, where is God in me? Where is God in you? Where is God in us? And if God is indeed in us, then God works through us. And so what is God capable of through me, through you, through us? Today, as we come to Daniel chapter 5, I want to give you a moment to find it in your Bibles. If you're using um, an actual physical Bible or if you're using a digital Bible app, I want to give you some time. We're in Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 5. I want to set up our scripture for us this morning. As we begin Daniel chapter 5, we have a new king, Belshazzar. Oh... How about y'all say that with me? Oh, Belshazzar. New king, same problems. Belshazzar is having a party. He's throwing a party, living in his own opulence. Everything is about him. His dad, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered Jerusalem, had taken the Jewish temple, and from that temple he had taken some sacred vessels. And in this party that Belshazzar is having, he is using those sacred vessels of the Jewish people to drink wine. God's not a fan. So God steps in. And as we have seen before, God delivers a message to Belshazzar. And that's where our scripture picks up. I'll, st- I'll begin reading Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse Five, hear now the word of the Lord. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace next to the lampstand. The king was watching the hand as it wrote. Then the king's face turned pale, and his thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. The king cried aloud to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and rank third in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king the interpretation. 
Then King Belshazzar became greatly terrified and his face turned pale and his lords were perplexed. The queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. The king said, the queen said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and diviners, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in our scripture this morning, we have three primary characters that we've got to deal with. We've got the king, Belshazzar. We've got the queen, or as many scholars refer to her as the queen mother. So this is Belshazzar's mom, the queen mother. And we have Daniel. And each of those three characters is given a unique opportunity in our scripture. We know that time has passed. Time has passed since the events of chapter 4. We have a new king. Daniel's a lot older. We have the queen mother. This is the first time we're hearing about her in the scripture. And there is a problem. There is a problem that might be new to the king, but is not new to us. God has stepped in to give a message to the king. And the king is given an opportunity to remember. To remember why it might be that God is stepping in and giving him this message, to remember who might be available to him to interpret this message. Now, the king either lacks memory or chooses to ignore it because he goes about things, well, the way we've always seen it done in Scripture. Here's the message the king brings in, the enchanters, the diviners, the Chaldeans, the magicians. None of them can interpret the dream. The king also presumably has an opportunity to remember the mistakes of his father, King Nebuchadnezzar. But he either doesn't remember or chooses not to remember what happened to his father when his father lived in such arrogance and self-centeredness and opulence. And so he is given a difficult message. In our text, the king's lack of memory is counted to him as foolishness. The queen mother, however, she remembers. The first time we're introduced to her, she tells the king about a person that she is recalling, Daniel. She recalls him so specifically that she uses words endowed with the spirit of the holy gods that actually comes from previous chapters in Daniel, word for word. She recalls who Daniel is in this community and what Daniel is capable of doing, that Daniel will come and will indeed interpret the message. 
presumably if her memory is that good, she probably remembers what's coming. Now, if you were to continue to read beyond um, the scripture that we read this morning, you would come to know that when Daniel steps in, he also recalls a memory. He recalls that it is God that has placed him before the king, that it is God who will be speaking through him to the king, and he delivers a difficult message to the king, that his reign is essentially over. This chapter is Belshazzar's reign. Those five or six verses, that's all we get of him. By the end of that night, he will be gone, and there will be a new king in place. And as I think about how each character had an opportunity to engage their memory and what they remembered about themselves, about their communal story, about God, it caused me to ask this question. Is this really happening again? Do we continuously need to see these characters in Scripture make the same mistakes over and over and over? Now, I've been thinking about this subject of memory. How memory can be something that we leverage and actually can become wisdom for us, both individually and corporately. We can remember and recall stories passed down in our families that have helped shape not just who we are, but also continue to shape who we are becoming. We as a community can recall memory. In the church, we might call that tradition. The language of the church throughout time and how it has shaped us and how it is shaping not just who we were and who we are, but who we are also becoming. This tradition, this great memory. And when we recall it in a way that glorifies God, it is counted to us as wisdom. Memory can translate into that space of wisdom. And I've had a lot of opportunities to remember things over the last couple weeks. I have been thankful for the opportunity to be here. Last Sunday was my first Sunday as one of your pastors. And it was a beautiful Sunday. And throughout the week, I started to think of other first Sundays I have had in ministry. And there's one story that I always tell. It always comes around pretty early on when I start a new appointment. And it's about one specific first Sunday I had in ministry. Now, this is my first Sunday internship before I even get to seminary. It's called a pre-enrollment internship. I hadn't spent a day in a seminary classroom or figuring out anything about what it meant to be a pastor. So I'm sent to this place called Florida City, Florida. At that time, I was in the Florida Conference. I went to college in DeLand, Florida, a small college called Stetson University. Go Hatters. Yeah, they don't get that shout out often, so, you know, go Hatters. And as I'm in that space and I'm going to Florida City, Florida, mind you, Florida City, Florida is the southernmost city in Florida before you hit the Keys. So if you've ever driven to the Keys, you have driven through Florida City, Florida, maybe one or two stoplights, small town. I served a church there called Branches United Methodist Mission. Wasn't even a church, wasn't that big yet. 
Branches United Methodist Mission. And at Branches United Methodist Mission, they served a population that was mostly Haitian immigrants who had actually come over after the earthquake in Haiti and Hispanic immigrants, many of whom could not speak a word of English. And while I am Hispanic, I cannot speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> so, so I get there. And I'm in that space, and it's my first morning. I wake up, I'm really excited. Because before that, I had been in youth ministry, I had been in worship ministry, so I had been in some sort of ministry capacity. But this is going to be the first time that really from day one, people would know me as a pastor. And I was so excited about that. I got up, I got ready, I I put on a nice um, suit, something I realized was not what I should have done in that space. But I did, because I was excited. And I get out of my room, I'm getting ready to go to the car, drive to the church, and my host family comes. And they say, Angelo, you're going to want to change out of that suit. It's pretty hot outside. And the church building was burned to the ground last night. So there is no building. So there's no AC. So we're going to go, we're going to pick up a tent. And we're going to set up this tent outside the church next to the pile of rubble and ash that was still burning, by the way. We're going to have worship. And we're going to go get bottles of water. And you, you do not want to be in that suit. So I, I changed and I got ready. Unbeknownst to me, throughout the night, my supervisor, the lead pastor of that community, had gotten a call that the church had been set on fire in an apparent act of arson. Now, one of the reasons, or the reason why that happened, is because Branches United Methodist Mission in Florida City, Florida, serves one of the poorest communities in the state of Florida. Florida City, Florida is the third poorest city in Florida. And with that designation comes a slew of issues, some of which include heavy drug addiction and gang violence. Branches was having such an impact This is all before I got there. Having such an impact on the youth and the children of that community that it was affecting local gang recruitment. So, in retaliation for that, they burned the church down. Luckily, no one was in the church. There was no programming going on at that time. No one was hurt. But that place that place in a strange land that so many people had come to call home, it was gone. It was gone. And people struggled. And as I sat there and I thought about this moment of trauma in the lives of the people that made up Branches United Methodist Church, what became abundantly clear to me is that the people that made up that space were able to harness and leverage a collective wisdom, a collective memory that reminded them that, sure, while the church, the building, was something that mattered to them, the true presence of Christ was found in the community that they had formed. And it did not take a building, it did not take a building to make that special or to make that possible. So whereas 
I initially thought, my gosh, how is this church going to respond? I mean, they're so small. Many people here don't have a lot of resources. That church did not shrivel up, did not shrink, it did not die. It exploded. That summer, we pitched up a tent every single day in South Florida with all the heat and all the mosquitoes that you can imagine. We did that so that we could continue our children's programming because even in the midst of the hot Florida sun and heat, these children and these youth were still coming to our church so that our adults could pour out into them so that they could be part of the kingdom work that was happening in that place. Every Sunday, we pitched up a really big tent and we had two worship services, one in the morning and one in the evening. And we got really creative with our bulletins. We made the bulletins into little fan shapes and we glued them onto glue sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that people could try to cool themselves off. We had schools that would open up their classrooms to us over the summer so that we could continue our large summer camp ministry that kept so many of these youth and children off the streets. That memory of theirs, that collective memory, what they were able to recall and how they leveraged that as wisdom for their community enabled them to see past their trauma, enabled them to see past their trauma, to see how God was still present in that place and had provided an opportunity for them to really live the gospel that over and above whatever physical resources they might have, their greatest resources was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And no one could burn that down. No one could burn that down. What they remembered was counted to them as wisdom. And remembrance is an incredibly important theme throughout all of Scripture. It is rehearsed over and over again when the Hebrew people are brought out of Egypt and Moses continuously reminds them that it is God who brought them out of Egypt, that God was faithful to them in that place and God would be faithful to them on their journey. And Moses, who told them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall write this story on your hearts. You shall put it on your doorposts. You shall set it as an emblem. And it was Joshua standing before the promised land who said, Do not fear, for the Lord your God is with you. It's the same God who brought us out of Egypt. They instituted a whole meal, the Passover, to recall and remember the story. And it was in that moment, in that meal, in that Passover, that Jesus instituted something new as well. And he said, this is the story that we continue to recall, how God brought us out of Egypt, how God brought us to this promised land. And now there is a new story. There is a new story, how God has stepped in again. And this is my bread. This is my body. This is the cup. This is my blood. Every time you eat and every time you drink of this, remember me. Recall this story. Remember God's faithfulness, God's continuing faithfulness. Remember, remember, remember. It is in that remembrance that we really come into contact with the Spirit of God. Now, through this, I have been thinking not just about my memories of former ministry, but also how 
stories that have been passed down in my family, stories about my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my parents, how they have served to shape who I am today. It has caused me to ask this question of who has had really the most influence on my faith? It's a question maybe you, you could think about as well. And we have a video this morning that we want to share with all of you. I've loved this video series that we've been doing throughout the summer. And, and today is, is a beautiful video from Bob Slight. He is um, a faithful member here at Apex United Methodist Church. And this is his reflection on who has had the most impact on his faith. The people who had the most influence on my faith were my parents. There was no doubt about it. My, both of my parents were very intelligent people. My mother started college at 16. She had a college degree at age 20. This was in 1939 when things like that were not heard of. She always enjoyed learning and she was extremely intelligent. My father literally was a rocket scientist. My father helped put up the Mercury rockets and the Gemini rockets that went up and just was an incredibly intelligent man. Both of my parents had a deep-seated faith that was, that could not be rocked. I think the example that really brings out their, their, their faith, my older brother, Carl Wesley, died in February of 1959. He died of leukemia. My brother shared, was actually born on my mother's birthday. Any type of loss of a family member is a tremendous burden on the family. We all know what Pastor Amanda and her husband Justin are going through with baby Owen. Well, my parents went through the same thing, only my brother was older. On top of that, when my brother passed away, I was approximately three and a half years old, I was still not talking. I was suffering from a condition known as a chronic mastoid. I was suffering from a very severe hearing loss. Through time, my parents, with their deep-seated faith, would consult with doctors and I went through many surgeries as a child up until until just several years ago. Um, always had, always very aware of my hearing. My mother passed away a few years ago and before she passed we had a conversation one night about, about me and if she said if anyone had heard you as a child and heard you today they would be absolutely amazed at what you came through. And I think about that. Here they had lost one child to leukemia, died in a hospital, but yet their other baby, their, the baby of the family, was left in the hospital many a nights to prepare for surgery. Again, technologies in the 50s and 60s is not what it is today. But again, just being able to, to trust the doctors, to have faith in the Lord, that think they were making the right decisions, is just a tremendous burden. And again, I, I really do have, I say a prayer for Pastor Amanda and Justin all the time because there's an identity there that, that I somewhat share and I do hope everything is all right. Both of my parents being very intelligent enjoyed studying religions. They enjoyed studying Judaism. They enjoyed studying Mormons. They enjoyed studying uh, the Muslim religion. My mother actually had read the Quran 
And when incidents started occurring in the late 70s with a lot of the, the Muslim-based countries, she was able to actually understand what they were saying. And of course, being an intelligent in individual, she would also have debates about whether they were in the right. And my father ended up with a massive Bible collection that I was actually lucky enough, lucky enough to inherit. A couple of years ago, I kind of realized I had all these Bibles sitting around and wondering what I was doing with them. Pastor Amanda actually helped me out. I was able to give like 95% of my father's collection to uh, Pastor Jenny. Pastor Jenny went ahead and passed out the Bibles to whoever needed them. And I think my father was, was smiling from heaven, very pleased with my decision to pass these Bibles along. Being a Christian and working in the Christian religion, you need to be involved. I am now taking the lay servant classes and becoming better educated on our religion about being a good Methodist. And one of the first things you learn is you need to be involved. My parents were always involved. They were always part of the finance committee. They were always leading up the committee here, leading up the committee there, teaching Sunday school, singing in choir, cooking at the, uh, in the church kitchen. It's about being involved. And again, they led by example, being able to get involved, be a part of your church, and be part of teaching uh, Jesus' message to anyone who is willing to listen. Amen. We give thanks for Bob's message and, and Bob's word, that it, you know, it really is about getting involved together. And as I think about his message and his testimony and the way that he talked about all of the people that have had an impact on his faith, I'm reminded that that really is the answer to the why question of what we do, that, that we come together to remember this, this collective memory of, of God's faithfulness in our lives, and we seek to share so that others might be brought into that world as well, that we seek to share in ministry with each other, that we seek to share in community with each other as we recall God's faithfulness and we seek to be faithful to God. Remembrance is important in Scripture. It was certainly important for Daniel, would have been important to the king had he remembered anything. Maybe he would have lasted a little longer. But his lack of memory was counted to him as foolishness. And I invite us today to engage these stories, these stories and these traditions that have shaped who we are and will also continue to shape who we are becoming that we would recall God's faithfulness in our lives and see how we can be faithful to God as we move forward. So that's my challenge for you this morning, that you would recall those stories, maybe over lunch, have that conversation. Who's had an influence on your faith? Maybe ask your children that question, if you're brave enough. <laughs> maybe ask each other, maybe ask your spouse, maybe ask your parents, maybe ask your friends. And recall these memories of God's faithfulness in this place. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks, Lord, for your incredible provision, your incredible faithfulness throughout our life. Help us to remember the ways that you 
have spoken to us. Help us to remember the ways that you have shaped us and that you have called us to this place. Almighty God, you have always been faithful. And it is in this place that we come together this morning to recall your faithfulness and to also continue to ask the question, how how might we be faithful servants of you? We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.